Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with freedom through faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hello, everyone, everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Glory to God. We're so glad that you're here. We are on the cusp, right on the verge, of seeing the greatest revival to take place. The greatest outpouring of the works of the Spirit. The greatest influx of humanity into the kingdom of God since Christianity began. We are receiving reports already from China and Thailand and Burma and throughout the 1040 window, Pakistan, Afghanistan, India, of the word of God going forth and doing what it's supposed to do. We are receiving word of Christians, even though in the face of persecution, refusing to stand down. They stand up for Jesus instead. It may cost them their life. It may cost them their possessions. But they refuse to reject Jesus as their Savior. And this is witnessing to others as well. There is, even in the United States right now, a resurgence of Christianity and Christians taking a stand for what the Word of God says, and they refuse to back down. We've allowed our government, we've allowed the world to degenerate into such chaos that the only answer is Jesus. And we're going to talk about what your role is in, what is your role in all of this? What does the Bible have to say about your job in this end days? And we're going to talk about that. First, let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word that became flesh. We thank you, Jesus, for saving us, being the perfect atonement for our sins. We thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit has free reign here today. We thank you, Lord, that your word goes forth and does not return to you void. It accomplishes what you please and it prospers wherever you send it. And we give you all of the honor, all of the glory, and all the praise for all that is accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Join me in our confession of faith. Amen. We do this every week. We want to lay the sure foundation of the Word of God upon which we can build and move on from there. Amen. Glory to God. Join me. Just repeat these words out loud. Loud enough, even if you're in a situation that, you know, it may not be conducive to what you're saying, at least loud enough for your own two ears to hear them. Amen? 
say this, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. But the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he shall come soon to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe the church is the body of Christ. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And I believe in life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, verse 38. This will be our foundational scripture. And you know me, I've said many times before that this verse, this one verse, well actually from really Acts 38 is the central verse, but basically from verse 34 to verse 40 is the central message that we as Christians should be focused on. Amen? It's one of the most powerful verses, or these are some of the most powerful verses in the Bible. It spells out the power of God in no uncertain terms and what he expects us to do as well. Amen? Let's read this. Let's go to verse 34 and start. Acts 10, verse 34. Then Peter, let me lay the groundwork here. Peter, having a vision from God a couple days before, of this sheet with all these uh, unclean animals being let down before him, and he was hungry, and God told him, kill and eat. Peter said, no way. Those are all unclean animals, and I don't have anything to do with them. I've never had anything to do with them. In other words, he was a good Jewish boy. And God said, what I declare clean, don't you declare unclean. And it happened three times, and Peter is wondering about that. When Cornelius' servants came... And knocked on the door looking for him. And he said, what do you want? And they said, our master had a vision. Some angel came to talk to him and said to send for Peter and that you'd come and show him the way of everlasting life. So Peter went with them. He arrived at Cornelius' house. And instead of just having Cornelius there, his whole family, all of his servants, his friends, his neighbors, the place is packed. And Peter says, you know, you know it's not legal for Jews to have anything to do with you. Why did you call for me? And Cornelius explained, explained the vision to him. He said, you've done well. You're here. Tell us what we need to do. And here in verse 34, Acts 10, verse 34, Peter opened his mouth. That's item number one on the list. You need to open your mouth and say what the Holy Spirit says. Amen. He opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive God is no respecter of persons. In other words, what he did for others, he'll do for you too. Amen. It has been in every nation, he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent. Now we know who the word is from John chapter 1, right? 
Jesus is the Word, the Word that was made flesh. The Word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace. That word peace is shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Amen. Preaching, com preaching completeness by Christ Jesus, for He is Lord of all. That Word, I say, you know. It was published throughout all Judea and began in Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good. He didn't do bad. He did good. And healing all that were oppressed of the devil. He healed everyone that he came across that was under oppression from the devil. For God was with him. And we, talking about the disciples, we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hung on a tree. Him, God, has raised up the third day and showed him openly. Verse 41. Not to all people, but unto witnesses chosen before by God to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. Amen. That's our job, is to be witnesses for Jesus. William Arnault, he was a distinguished Scottish pastor in the last century, put the matter this way. He said, to every true Christian, these two things may be said. You have need of Christ, and Christ has need of you. And then he added, the simple fact that a Christian is on earth and not in heaven yet is proof that there is still something for him to do here. And if he's not doing it, the neglect shows either he's not yet a Christian or he's a Christian who's grieving Christ. Oh, powerful words. Powerful words. Basically, you need Jesus. And without him, you can do nothing. And Jesus needs you. For without you, he will do nothing. Amen? You need Jesus, for without him you can do nothing. And he needs you, for without you he will do nothing. You can see that evident in the United States today. You try and shut down the word of God, you shut down Christians, you shut down the word of God leaving the fourth church walls, and he can do nothing in this land. Amen. What is it that God left you up to this day you're hearing this on earth to do? Let me put the matter another way. What is it that we can do on earth that we cannot do in heaven? Think about that. What is it that you can do on earth right now that will be impossible for you to do in heaven. Well, Brother Bob, 
all things are possible in heaven. When we get to heaven, we'll know all things. We'll be able to do all things. No, you won't. There is something you cannot do in heaven that you can do on earth. What do you mean, Brother Bob? Well, we can pray on earth, and we can also pray in heaven. We can sing on earth, and we can also sing when we get to heaven. We can fellowship with other believers on earth, and we'll definitely fellowship with them in heaven. And that list could go on and on. But when you really think about it, there is one thing you can never do in heaven that you can do right now on earth. In heaven, you will never be able to tell a lost sinner about Jesus Christ. Think about that. There will be no sinners in heaven. So if you're going to tell anybody about the good news of salvation in Jesus alone, you have to do it while you are still here on this earth. Amen? Just before Jesus returned to heaven, he explained to his disciples what they were to do after his departure. And what he said to them, he also is saying to us through his word, through their words, according to John chapter 17, those who believe, not just these, but those who believe through what they're going to say. Amen. You see, in heaven, there will be no witnesses because in heaven, seeing is believing. Amen. He left us here up to this point on earth that we can be his witnesses. When Jesus comes back, amen, everyone who is not born again faces the lake of fire as their ultimate destination. It doesn't matter if it's a 110-year-old woman or a 10-year-old boy, if they have not received Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about those that have not reached the age of accountability. There are some 7-year-olds who make the Lord the Lord of their life. There are some 70-year-olds who refuse to do so, and now Alzheimer's set in, and they'll never be able to do it. Despite how much you love them, they will never be with you in heaven because they mentally cannot receive Jesus as their Savior. That's tragic. All their life, they refuse to make that commitment, thinking, I don't want to live the life of a Christian. I'll wait till I get old and get ready to die. Then I'll receive Jesus on my deathbed and I'll be good to go. But the devil has taken their mental faculties and are, they are no longer able to make that conscious choice. That's tragic. Tragic. You see... There will be no witnesses and no witnessing in heaven because in heaven you're there. Therefore, you're a believer. 
There the Lamb will be the light, and he will not need any lesser lights. But in the dark world in which we live right now, we, according to the word of God, are the only light he has in this earth. Amen. If your light is not shining in this dark world, you're of absolutely no use to him. You are the light of God in this earth. On earth, we are his witnesses. He does not send the angels to proclaim his name. He does not write the gospel and lightning across the sky. He uses people just like you, just like me, to convince other people like us to believe in him. Amen? We are God's witnesses, his evidence, if you will. God presents you as exhibit A, glory to God, in order to convince an unbelieving world. If we do not do our part, God has no other plan to reach the world. Think about how serious that is. If you do not do what your part is, there is some person, even if it's only one person, somewhere in this world, God has no plan B to reach them with the word. You are it. Ezekiel talks about this, about the watchman on the wall. He says, if you fail to give warning in my name, that person will die in their sin, and I'm holding you responsible. Think about that. Listen to the words. Turn over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is the words of Jesus. They're in red. And he imparts this truth to his followers. But you... Who's he talking about when he says you? Well, the disciples. Were, no, who's you? He's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's talking to the disciples. He's talking to other believers. But that word, you. He does not say here, my disciples shall receive power. No. He says you. He makes it personal. You. Point your finger at the wall or something. It's not polite to point at people. But point the wall or point your finger away from you. How many fingers do you have pointing? One. Now open your palm and how many fingers are pointed back at you? Three. Amen. That represents the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coming back at you so you can be a witness to others. Glory to God. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. There's that word again. In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The uttermost part of the earth. Acts 1.8 emphasizes two things that you need to remember. The Holy Spirit is what empowers disciples. And number two, spirit-filled disciples witness about Jesus around the world. 
Amen. That's the purpose of this radio station that we're on. That's the purpose of everything this ministry is doing right now, to get the word out. That's our mission statement at Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Get the word out. Every decision, every financial decision, every purchase of equipment, every purchase of a book, every book that's produced has one purpose, to get the word out, period. That's our mission statement. We don't have this flowing, eloquent speech. No, get the word out. Amen? The first point we need to emphasize for just a minute Our greatest need today is not for political power or who holds the White House or who controls Congress. That's not, although it should be a concern, that is not the point that we need to keep our emphasis on. We need to emphasize the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the greatest need, especially in our society, but throughout the world today. Political power, yes, it can change leaders, but it cannot change their heart. You can win an election, but you can never save a life. It can pass righteous laws or repeal unrighteous ones, but it can never make men righteous. I don't care how great you think the president is. He can never save anyone. He can never make anyone righteous. Politics cannot change the way people think because politics simply impacts the external life. Amen? Only the Holy Spirit can change hearts. Only the Holy Spirit can restore families. Only the Holy Spirit can save an entire nation from destruction. For example, back in 1919, 19, 100 years ago, Brother Bob, why are you saying, listen to me. Back in 1919, all of the Christians rose up, took a stand for the Bible, impacted Congress, and they ratified an amendment to the Constitution of the United States. That is not an easy task to do, to change or to pass a constitutional amendment. They are very hard to pass. And when you get one, it's because the majority of the people in the nation agreed with it. And the Congress in 1919, under the pressure of the, if you want to call it the Christian Coalition, ratified the 18th Amendment to the Constitution. Now, you may not be familiar with it, but it prohibited, made illegal, the sale of and distribution of alcoholic beverages throughout the United States. And the people who supported the amendment, including the great evangelist Billy Sunday, they meant well. 
It was not something they did to try and persecute people. They meant well. They truly believed that by outlawing liquor sales, they could improve society. Many people called it the grand experiment. But guess what? It didn't work. Largely because Americans, by the millions, also chose to flout the law and patronized bootleggers and what was called speakeasies, underground clubs. So that in 1933, the 21st Amendment repealed the 18th Amendment. And the grand experiment was over. What did it prove? It failed because no law can change human nature. You cannot pass a law that changes human nature. Paul forcefully makes his case for this in Romans uh, chapter 7. We'll turn over there real quick. Romans 7, verse 15, down to verse 25. I'll just read it. For that which I do, I do not allow. That which I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that's what I do. If then I do that which I don't want to do, I consent to the law that it's good. Now, then it's no more I that does it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, or in this body, dwells no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I don't find. For the good that I would do not, I'm sorry, for the good, in verse 19, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I don't want, that I do. Now if I do that what I don't want, it's not me anymore that does it, but the sin that dwells in me. So I find then a law that when I want to do good, evil is present with me. That's a law. He said it's a law. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, But I see another law in my members or in my body, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Who can deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with The mind, I myself serve the law of God, but the flesh serves the law of sin. Amen? If people want to drink, all the laws in the world are not going to stop them. Amen? That's why we need the Holy Spirit. He can take the gospel we preach and use it to bring men and women to repentance of their sins and of faith in Jesus Christ. He can replace their old hearts with new ones. He can create a new creation living within that body, one that has all the righteousness of him in the eyes of God, one that is sinless and pure, 
although the body itself is still sin and corrupted. He can give them a new heart and give them a hunger to live for righteousness. Jesus told his inquisitive disciples that instead of worrying about the timing of his coming back, the second coming, his return, which we see a lot of books and TV preachers, etc., talking about today and selling their wares to the flock and making money in the process, we see that they should instead focus their attention on the job at hand. That's what Jesus was trying to emphasize his disciples. Don't worry about when I'm coming back. Preach the word to every person you see. Amen? He said first they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they would be witnesses for Christ. This was and is God's plan for his people. It is not too much to say that this is God's job description for all of his children. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and be witnesses for Christ. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. What what did he mean by that? In its basic sense, it means to declare the truth to someone else. What is a witness? Well, I want to give you three examples that will help us understand what it means to be a witness for Christ today in this day and hour in which we live. Amen? First, a witness tells what he knows about. The dictionary defines the word witness this way. One who has seen or heard something. And also, one who who provides evidence. A witness is someone who can say, I know this is true. In a court of law, a witness swears on a Bible and promises to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Witnesses tell what? The truth. If they are good witnesses, that's all they do. They don't embellish it. They just say what they know. A witness also tells nothing less than the truth. And like I said, nothing more either. Who are these people? They are witnesses who tell what they know. If the witness fails to testify truthfully, then they can be convicted of perjury and spend time in jail. If they fail to testify about what they know, they can be put in jail also. A witness, then, is someone who only speaks what he knows is true and only what he knows. How does that relate to Acts chapter 1, verse 8 that we just read? Well, in a commentary by F.F. Bruce, he calls attention to how Luke uses the word witness Elsewhere in the book of Acts. Remember, Luke wrote not only the book of Luke, but also the book of Acts. Here's just a few examples. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this fact. 
Acts 3, verse 15. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. We read Acts 10, verse 39 and 40. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. We are witnesses of this. Acts 13, verse 30 and 31. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. Acts chapter 22, verses 14 and 15. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witnesses to all men of what you have seen and heard. I find this example striking because Ananias uses words that are similar to the dictionary definition. One who has seen or heard something. Amen. Ananias did not want to go lay hands on Paul. He figured, you know, this guy kills people, throws them in jail, persecutes believers. I don't want to go. And Jesus said, go, I've chosen him to be a vessel for me. So Ananias basically said, okay, I'm going to do what the Lord says. If it costs me my life, so be it. So he walked in to Paul's room, laid hands on him and said what we just read. And Paul received his sight. And the rest is history. Amen. If we take all these verses we just read together, you can sum them up in one statement. A witness is a person who tells the truth about Jesus Christ. That's it. The disciples testified to the things they knew to be true about Jesus. And above all, they testified to the truth of the resurrection. Amen? Let me, let me give you this example. You don't have to be a theologian to be a witness for Christ. You don't have to go to Bible school or seminary. You don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to be a preacher. You just need to be a witness. It doesn't require a college degree or a high IQ. Just tell the truth that you know about Jesus to anyone who's willing to listen. That's where witnessing always begins. Just tell what you know to be the truth. The truth as you know it. Amen. There are some things you don't know. There are some things I don't know. And it is okay if you're asked a question you don't know the answer to. It's okay to say, I don't know, but this one thing I do know, and then go on from there. It's okay. You will grow in your knowledge as revelation comes from the Holy Spirit. And six months, six years, whatever down the road, you will know the answer to that question you didn't know in the beginning. You see, a witness just shares 
what he has experienced. I have a friend who's been witnessing to an acquaintance of ours for the last year or so. They spent many long hours discussing what it means to be a Christian. Because the acquaintance believes that if you aren't Jewish or Muslim, then here in the United States, you must be a Christian. And recently this person asked, what do you think I am? Meaning, do you think I'm a Christian? My friend said, no. Because you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It was blunt. It was to the point. It was truthful. So now, instead of discussing about being saved, they're discussing what it means when we say that we know Jesus Christ personally, on a personal level. That concept seems incredible to the people of the world. They do not have a category for understanding our words when we speak like that. To them, saying that you have a personal relationship with Jesus is just like saying you have a personal relationship with Christopher Columbus. How do you have a relationship with a dead guy? The answer is easy. You don't. You can only have a personal relationship with someone who's alive. And that brings the entire conversation back to the resurrection. Either Jesus is alive or he's not. If he's alive today, then you can know him just as much as you know your parents, your neighbors, your children. You can know him deeply. You can know him intimately. You can know him personally and have a relationship with him because he rose from the dead and he's alive today. Hallelujah. Listen to John chapter 1. We, we referenced this a minute ago. John, I'm sorry, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Basically, John says, I saw him, I heard him, I walked with him, I touched him, after he rose from the dead. John is testifying to what he knows. Verse 2, the life appeared. We, talking about the disciples, have seen it and we testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has now appeared to us. Amen. There's three stages to look at here. First, Christ appeared on earth. Two, we experienced him personally. And number three, we now declare him to you. You know, every salesperson, every person in sales knows you can never sell anything you do not believe in. Have you ever heard the expression, this guy could sell ice cubes to Eskimos? In other words, he is such a good salesman, he believes in his product, and that's what people are looking for. 
People can tell a mile away if you're just reading from a manual or rehearsing some memorized presentation. The best salespeople are those who believe in what they are selling to the point they're not selling anything. They're simply talking about what they know to be true. I know. I was successful at insurance sales for years. One of the top producers for this company nationwide. Continuously earning spots on the Eagle Board and and earning free trips and conventions. I believed what I was selling. I believed it was helping people. I was knowledgeable about it. All because I believed in the product I was selling. I didn't try to sell anything to anyone. I would simply lay out the options. It's option one, option two, option three. Which do you like best? Whichever one they chose, that's the direction I generated the conversation. I'd show them the ratings of our insurance company and compare them to any other company they wanted to look at. I carry these huge books around in my briefcase just so I could do that. I took it to every appointment. The clients could tell I believed in the product. They could tell I believed in the company. They knew they could tell that I was knowledgeable and I believed in what I was saying. I wasn't twisting facts and figures, trying to look good. I was honest. I was up front with them. And the client usually bought from me rather than someone else. They might put you off temporarily and say, well, we got another appointment. We want to see what they offer. And probably 75% of the time I get a call back saying, we want to do business with you. Why is that? Because these other people were trying to sell. They were trying to make their product look the best. They didn't really believe it, and the clients could pick up on it. They didn't explain things the way I did. They didn't show them comparisons to other companies. The clients believed what I was telling them. And they believed I knew what I was talking about, and that I was telling them the truth. And it's the same way with the gospel. If you have not experienced Jesus, you can't be a witness for him. Amen. You cannot tell somebody about something you do not know. If I tried to explain nuclear fission, it'd be a sorry explanation. Amen. If I tried to explain physics or chemistry, I wouldn't be able to do it. And as I attempted to do so, the listener would you know, you might be able to fool a kindergarten kid or first graders, but you get a college student, he could tell within the first 60 seconds whether or not you were being truthful and you knew what you were talking about. And it's the same way spiritually. When you talk about Jesus, if you don't know him, it's going to be evident to the person you're talking to. You can try, but it's going to come off sounding like a canned presentation. You know, you've seen people walking around. They come knocking at your door. You open the door, and here's this guy standing in a, usually a, a suit. Well, back when 
you know, not so much anymore, but back 20, 25 years ago, you know, white shirt, black tie, kind of rumpled sleeves. And, Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? We would like to introduce you to him that you could be just like us. You're like, uh, no, thank you. We, we're not interested. Okay, have a good day. You know, you're not, those were people who did not believe in what they were doing. Amen. But you get someone knock on your door who knows Jesus. You know, they don't come off by saying things. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Now, they'll come off with a, uh, a question. You know, do you like what you see happening in the world today? Do you know there's an answer for every problem in this nation? And his name is Jesus. And I've come that you may know him the way I do. Would you be interested in hearing it? And they say no. They say, do you, you do realize that we are living in the end days and that soon judgment is coming and everyone is either going to be in heaven or in the lake of fire? You do realize that, don't you? And if they say, well, yeah, that's true, then which one are you going to be in? Where are you at in this picture? And you'd be surprised at the responses you get. Well... I don't know. Well, do you want to know? Would you like the guarantee? See, when you witness like that, you draw them into the conversation. I've said this for, oh gosh, 20 years now. Anytime someone, you know, the typical greeting in the United States is, hey, how you doing? You hear it at grocery stores all the time. How are you today? Right? My response probably 95% of the time, is I'm blessed, saved, and going to heaven. How about you? And you should see some of the looks I get. For the believers, you'll know when you get a believer. Because their response is going to be, oh, I mean, their eyes light up, their face shines, and they say, me too. Amen. And then you'll know also when you get a non-believer. Because they don't know how to answer that question. They'll stutter around and mutter something like, uh, yeah, okay. Or some of them just look up like, what? And then you know you got someone to witness to. Whether or not there's a line or not. While they're ringing you up, that one to two minutes you're in front of them, you need to have, you know, in sales it was called the elevator pitch. A two to three minute pitch that you could give whoever you're talking to, wherever you're at. And you need the same thing witnessing for Jesus. You need about a 90-second to two-minute pitch that while that cashier is ringing up your groceries, you can be witnessing the gospel based upon their response. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm blessed, saved, going to heaven. How about you? Uh, oh, uh, uh, huh? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. And then you go on. See? And at the end of the transaction, don't waste people's time. You can leave a track. You can leave a card. You can just leave the thought. 
but you've planted the seed. You've done what Jesus said to do. You were a witness for him. Let the Holy Spirit do his part. Amen? What a difference it will make when you share from the depths of your spirit what Jesus means to you. That's the best kind of witnessing. If you know Jesus, you can talk about what he's done for you. You can share how he has changed your life. You can tell how he guides you day by day, throughout the day, how he gives you strength to face trials and courage to conquer your fear. You can tell how he found you in your sin and gave you a brand new life. Let me add one word of advice here. You don't have to convince anybody that they need Christ. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Just like with the cashier at the grocery store. You don't have to, you know, hold up the line and say, You need Jesus! You need to repent of your sin right now, young lady! You no, you don't need to do all that. Just plant the seed. She opened the door. Hi, how are you today? Well, I'm blessed, saved, going to heaven. How about you? She looks up like, huh? What? And then you start your 90-second presentation of what Jesus did while she's ringing you up. If she wants more information, like, really? Wow, I never thought about that. How do I find out more? You can give her a business card. I say, call me when you get off work. Or hand her a track. Say, read this. My number's on the back. Call me if you need any, if you have any questions. It's easy to do. You're not holding up the line, but you're being a witness for Jesus. Amen? You planted the seed. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. There is a big difference between telling and selling. If you do the telling, the Holy Spirit will do the selling. Amen? You can't do his work, and he will not do yours. Remember the first law of spiritual life. He's God. You're not. Amen. <laughs> so be it. First law. He's God and you're not. Amen. So just tell the truth about Jesus. Tell how he's changed and impacted your life. And then pray like crazy for God to make your friends hungry, your family hungry for Jesus. Point number three. A witness remains loyal to the end, no matter the outcome. In Greek, the word for witnesses is, I'm going to try and pronounce this, my Greek isn't that good, martures, from which we get the English word martyr. It means being loyal to Jesus, no matter the cost, and speaking up for him even when others oppose you. How many of us today are willing to do that? If you took a poll in church today, <coughs> excuse me, if you went to any church and took a poll and asked if there was a gun to your head that if you said one word about Jesus, how many of you would still witness? And you'd be surprised. I would venture to say 90% of all Christians would back down. Well, you know, Brother Bob, uh, 
we may lose that battle that day, but we'll win the war in the end. We'll be a witness for Jesus. We'll just live our life for him. We'll let our light so shine before men. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. We see Muslims all across the globe, including the United States right now. They're in the news almost every night. You see them boldly proclaiming their faith in Muhammad and Allah, even if other people don't want to hear it. They're faithful to their cause. They believe in what they are saying. Now, I'm not promoting the Islamic faith. What they believe is dead wrong. And they will go to hell if they do not find Jesus. But they believe in what they're saying. And they're very bold when they declare it. And they refuse to back down. How many Christians are like that? Now I know Muslims would kill you in a heartbeat for defaming their prophet. Especially in some areas of the world. But it's also happened in the United States. Is that the reason you do not want to witness to the Muslim world? If that's the case, what kind of witness are you then? You're not telling the truth on the witness stand. You're not telling what you know about Jesus on the witness stand. What if you had an opportunity to witness to a Muslim that visited your church or a Muslim that was a clerk behind the the grocery store, the convenience store, the gas station, would you be bold enough to tell him to his face that what he's believing in is a lie? And you just can't leave it there. Well, you know, you're believing in that Muhammad fella, and you know that's all a lie, and that you're going to hell unless you got Jesus, and then pay for your gas and walk out. That's not being a witness. What you said is true. You spoke the truth, but it's not being a witness. Amen. I mean, I could say, Lord, give me wisdom. I could say, Wednesday is going to be Saturday from now on. And you can tell everybody you know. Brother Bob said Wednesday is now going to be Saturday from this point forward. And what you said would be true. I did say that. But that does not make it the truth. Amen? You have to know what you are saying is true. If I knew what I was saying was a lie, but I said it anyway, and it gets spread all around the world, what people were saying would be true, that I did say that, but it would not be the truth. And that's what you see in Islamic nations among Muslims. They say what Mohammed said. 
what they are saying is true. Mohammed said that. But what Mohammed said was not the truth. Therefore, they are believing, if it wasn't the truth, it's a lie. Therefore, they are believing a lie that Mohammed said. Amen. They do not know the truth. So, would you be bold enough to tell this Muslim grocery clerk or whatever to his face that what he's believing is a lie? The answer is probably not. You know, we want to make him feel comfortable. Uh, you know, we don't want to offend them. We want to let our light so shine that it would draw them to us. You don't want to say anything that offends them. Now, I'm not discussing witnessing techniques here. That's not the purpose. But what this shows is we can be intimidated about witnessing for what we know to be the truth about Jesus. And if you're intimidated and not doing it, that's a bad witness. If we do not have the same martyrs spirit or the martyrs spirit. It doesn't say anything good about us. Or who we believe in. If you're not willing to die or suffer persecution for what you know is the truth, then you are not a good witness. As much as I disagree with what the Muslims are saying, I have to admire their boldness. They are witnessing for the Muslim faith. You can't fault them for that. They believe a lie. We know the truth. But they are willing to suffer instead of denying what they think is the truth. While we just capitulate, roll over, and say, okay, 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 okay. We won't talk about Jesus no more. Now, how can they find out the truth if we don't tell them? Answer that. You can't. If you're going to be a witness for Jesus, that means being loyal to the end. And that will make you very, very unpopular in the world today. Oh, I I receive messages all the time that I'm hateful, that I spread hate. But guess what? Everything I say, I can back up with Scripture. Glory to God. You may not win Employee of the Year. You might even be passed over for promotion. Or you may even lose your job. And if you lost your job because you stood up to be a witness for Jesus, do you think Jesus won't give you another one? Probably a better one? Well, what am I going to do between now and then, Brother Bob? Trust in the Lord your God. If you're remaining silent on being a witness because you're afraid. We don't have the spirit of fear. Amen. That means you have a spirit of fear. What is holding you back? Amen. What kind of Lord would Jesus be if he did not provide for those who witnessed for him? Yes, it could cost you dearly to be a true witness for Christ. In the early church, believers chose death rather than to deny the name of the Lord. Are you willing to do that? 
Are you willing to die for Jesus Christ? Since most of us will never be called upon to do that, here's a much harder question to answer. Are you willing to live for him instead? If dying for Christ may not totally appeal to you, amen? If dying for Christ may not totally appeal to you, taking that type of stand, can you live for him instead? I read this poem somewhere. I can't remember where. I had it in my notes. I pulled it out. It goes like this. I am a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb. And shall I fear to my own, or shall I fear to own his cause, or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, while others fought to win the prize and sailed through the bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? And this vile world, a friend of grace, to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil. I'll endure the pain, supported by thy word. Amen. Do you want to be a witness? Testify about Jesus. What he's done for you. Speak up for him. But, but, but I, I stammer. Oh, that's okay. So did Moses. God used him. The Holy Spirit doesn't stammer. Moses didn't stammer when he stood in front of Pharaoh. Amen. The Holy Spirit can speak clearly through your halting words. Well, Brother Bob, I'm, I'm, I'm just too shy to witness. Don't worry about your shyness. Let the Lord speak through you. I don't know the Bible enough. I don't know that many scriptures. Nobody does. Nobody knows enough Bible. So just work at it. Study it. While you work at it, tell what you know and leave the results with God. When I first started in the ministry, gosh, almost 30 years ago, I didn't know that much Bible. Amen. I read my Bible. I'm not saying this braggadocious, okay? Don't, don't think I'm lifting up myself here. I make it my habit to read the Bible twice through every year. Sometimes three times, but usually twice through every year now, just because I'm so busy. Back when our ministry was very small, just starting out, three times a year I read the Bible through. Now it's twice because I have other responsibilities. So I've learned how to tie scriptures together. I've learned the scriptures, but I didn't start out that way, but I still was witnessing for Jesus. All you have to do is tell what you know to be the truth and leave the results up to God. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. If you get asked a question you do not know the 100% sure answer to, it's okay to say, I don't know. And then when you get a chance, go back and look up and study that question so that next time you get asked it, you know. Amen. But Brother Bob, what if I make mistakes? Eh, you probably will. And that's okay too. The Holy Spirit does not make mistakes. And he can cause people to forgive your mistakes. Perhaps you have this objection. I'm afraid it won't work. 
when people say that, they're usually thinking of someone they know who seems so hardened against the gospel. Usually we think it won't work. We've tried and tried, but never gotten anywhere with these people. When you think that the gospel won't work, just remember this one fact. It worked with you. If it worked with you, it can work with someone else. Don't ever give up on the gospel because you think it won't work. It works. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would work through your testimony. And I have this fact as my testimony. It worked for me. Amen? Many of you heard my testimony, so I'm not going to recap it here because we're almost out of time. But I was deceived into thinking I was okay with God, when in fact I was as lost as you can get. I was drinking, cussing, running as far and as fast as I could in the opposite direction of God. But Jesus found me. Actually, he was right there the whole time. But one day, my spirit, my soul cried out for him, and he came immediately into my life. And I'm a witness to what happened on that day. I know the truth that happened to me. I know the truth about how my life changed that day. And it's been blessed ever since. Oh, we have our challenges, but he's been with us and seen us through. Sometimes challenges will still come. But remember, tests and trials do not come from God. God will never allow you to be challenged beyond what you're able to bear. He will always make a way of escape. But if you're not listening to him, if you don't have your spiritual ears tuned in to hear the Holy Spirit, you will not hear what he's saying. And you will suffer loss. For example, on 9-11, there should have been upwards of 10,000 people killed in the terror attacks on the World Trade Center. Many people were able to make their way out of the buildings, but there still should have been many more casualties. And testimonies came pouring in after the text. Well, how people just, quote-unquote, decided to take a day off work, call out sick, one person told how he decided just to be late for work that day and took his daughter out to eat first and missed the attack. I have a friend who had a church directly across the street. He was supposed to be there at 8.30 a.m., but decided to stop and check on a sick member of his first, a sick member of his church first and missed the attack. At that time, it did not seem like the Holy Spirit was talking. But yet, testimony after testimony after testimony is there about how they just, quote-unquote, decided an alternative to their regular routine was okay just for that day. And God spared them. You see, God spoke to every person in that tower that day. Some listened, some didn't. You see, God will tell you what to do and when to do it, but you have to listen. And you can only listen if you know his voice. And you can only know his voice if you know his word. Amen? When you know his word and the truth his word contains, then you can be a witness about what you know. It's that simple. Let me leave you with this personal definition. A witness is anyone who cooperates with the Holy Spirit in telling others about Jesus. All God needs is a little cooperation from his people. When he gets it, we can change the world. God invites us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and telling others about Jesus. That's, jobs, that's God's job description for every Christian. If we'll do our part, 
you can be sure the Holy Spirit will do His. Now, what I'm going to ask you about doing today, I'm going to ask each person who's listening to me today to do two things. First, pray to God that He would give you a chance to witness for Christ this week. And number two, commit to speaking up when God gives you the opportunity you prayed about. Witnessing seems frightening to many people. Before you can speak up for Jesus, you need to forget your fears. Let go of your past failures in this area. Trust God to use you and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Will you join me and others in sharing Christ this week? Will you commit to speaking up when God answers that prayer? Remember, if you'll do your part, God will do His. All He needs is a little cooperation from you. As I said... You can only be a witness to what you know is the truth. So I ask you to be truthful with yourself right now. Do you really know Jesus as your Savior? How has He changed your life? How has He changed your life? If you can't answer those two questions, the reason could be that you are like I was, deceived into believing that I was saved but was truly not saved. We can fix that right now. If you truly want to know the truth, the truth you know will make you free. Jesus said he's the truth and he's the life. Ask him to become your savior and much more than that, to become your Lord. That means you will forever serve him. Just pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, I ask you to become my savior. Come into my heart, wash me clean with your word. Create in me a new heart and a new man, one that loves God and is righteous in his eyes. I give you my life, Lord. Now I receive your life in my place. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you pray that prayer, email me at brotherbob at ftfm.org. Remember, be blessed in all that you do. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God.